0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Gays With Kids, a podcast about creating and raising families together. I'm David Dodge, the executive editor of Gays With Kids, and I'm super excited to welcome everyone back to season two of GWK, the podcast. So first, I just want to thank everyone for listening to the first season. We had a lot of fun making it. Uh, it was it was our first go at a podcast, and we were super excited to bring on Britt Smith, the producer of this podcast, who's also a staff writer and editor at GWK and who is a podcaster in her own right. Check out her podcast, Different Leave the Podcast. And so she was able to help us finally give a go at um, trying our hand at this medium, which we've wanted to do for a long time to help supplement the articles and the social media channels and everything else that you um, know us for us. So I think we did a pretty good job. <laughs> uh, but please tell us know what you think at dads at gazewithkids.com. Uh, but we did take a couple months after the first season to sit back and think about how we can improve things in the second season. And one way we've decided to do that is by taking the podcast to a uh, twice a month schedule rather than every week. And on that note, I'm really excited to talk about the first episode that we're launching season two with. And that is Times with National Coming Out Day, which took place uh, this past Monday, October 11th. We take the time to celebrate National Coming Out Day every year at GWK because it is such an important part of the queer community and the queer experience. So it actually surprises a lot of people to know, though, that this holds a particular resonance for queer parents. Even though, you know, you peruse our site at GaysWithKids.com, I, I think the bulk of the stories you're going to see are, are queer parents that have become that way through um, adoption or surrogacy or foster care. But the bulk of queer parents still become parents first as a part of a different sex relationship and, you know, often before they have uh, fully come out as LGBTQ. So we celebrate Coming Out Day because it's obviously an incredibly difficult and amazing thing to do in the best of scenario. But when you have, you know, a, a spouse to be thinking about and children, it can complicate um, the coming out process even more, obviously. You know, within the queer community, I think uh, yeah we, we embrace people to come out uh, whenever they can and feel safe to do so. There's no exception to that in the, in what we're going to be talking about today. But, uh, you know, the the truth is we we don't, do maybe quite as good of a job of taking a step back and understanding the other people that are impacted by the coming out process when uh, you are a parent. So this week, we're going to be celebrating National Coming Out Day with essays and a roundup of amazing stories of queer men who found the courage to come out and live their lives authentically. Uh, We're going to have an essay from Cameron Call, who chronicled his coming out experience for us month to month as it was happening a couple years ago that is incredibly moving. And he's going to be uh, publishing an update for us. So look out for that this week as well. But so something we have yet to do, though, is to really kind of explore, again, like I said, the impact of how coming out can impact the straight spouses in these relationships. And the children, so we are really excited to be joined today by Kristen Calbley, who's the assistant director of Our Path. So this is an organization that has been around since 1983. It was originally called the Straight Spouses Network, and it was formed to provide support for the straight spouses of those that come out as uh, queer and trans. And uh, you know, so again, it's been around for for uh, several decades. And so. Uh, what I find so incredible about this organization is, uh, besides being the only one of its uh, kind that, that I know of at this level and size, it's an organization that's firmly committed to LGBTQ equality. So this is an organization that takes dismantling the closet seriously and, and is supportive of uh, LGBTQ rights for that reason, because they understand that without a closet, these aren't situations that will happen to begin with. So um, so they are allies in that fight, uh, and we you know very much welcome them to that. So we're, we're going to be talking with Kristen about the organization our path and uh, and also a little bit about her own story because this is personal to her as well and so we're very excited to be uh, kicking off national coming out week and our content with this podcast Uh, but please do pay attention to everything that we have going on on the website gayswithkids.com and also all of our social media channels for more and so with that uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back with Kristen. Kristen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here with you today.
0: So we're very excited to talk to you about this really important subject, um, particularly to our audience of gay, bi, and trans dads. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people don't know this, but this is still the uh, most common way for uh, queer dads to become dads is uh, in a in a relationship with the opposite sex partner. Right. Um, so, but before we get into any of that, why don't you just give us a little bit of background on our path, um, its yep. mission, and its history?
1: Yep. So, ourpath.org, um, formerly the Straight Spouse Network. We were founded over thirty years ago by a woman named Dr. Amity Pierce Buxton, whose husband came out to her in the nineteen eighties, and um, when she looked around, you know, she was like. I don't know anybody who's going through what I'm going through. Of course, she wasn't alone. Um, and she actually started working with PFLAG. The Straight Spouse Network started as a task force under PFLAG, which is parents, it's it's the long version is parents and family and friends of lesbian and gays. Um, so we had a natural alliance um, as in terms of kind of were part of the family, so to speak, um, even though many of us never intended to be <laughs> in that way. Um, so, uh, but Street Spouse Network then eventually went out on its own, became a 501c3 nonprofit. It was a peer-to-peer support network. So it was entirely run by volunteers who basically have been through the experience of a partner coming out to them or discovering that their partner is LGBT and all of the incumbent um, experiences that go along with that, some good, some not so good. Um, And many of our people that we support are parents and have children with their LGBT partners and things like that. So we're very familiar with the coming out process within families and what happens to the straight partner or cisgender partner, um, what their experiences are like, what they go through, what the different outcomes are, whether it's stay together, divorce, separate, leave co-parent that kind of thing we've seen ugly separations we've seen lovely separations we've seen ugly divorces we've seen really hope-filled uh divorces and separations and we've seen all different kinds of new blended family arrangements so um and you know the straight spouse network and now our path um our our big thing is a whole family approach like what what gets the best outcome for everybody. You know, obviously, um, we are here to support the straight partner or the cisgender partner in determining what's best for them. But we also know that when everybody's needs are attended to as best as possible, it's best for children in the family situation as well. So that's kind of our, um, and we support, uh, we we call them straight partners, formerly straight spouses, but not everybody in this situation is married. Um, Partners of transgender people, and then also the people who stay in mixed orientation relationships. So there are a handful that do make a mixed orientation relationship work for the long term for various reasons. Um, And so they may stay married for all kinds of reasons. It could be financials because could be because they genuinely are companions and love each other and care um, about each other and wanna be together for the rest of their lives. Um, They might open their marriages up, all kinds of things. Um, There's all different kinds of permutations in how these relationships unfold.
0: It's uh, super fascinating and, and yeah, you, you all have been doing great work, like you said since the 1980s. I've been aware of your work for a, a really long time. Um, and so that's an interesting background on in how you uh, came to change your name. But so when did that happen? what was specific uh, what was the specific reason that you decided to move away from the, the previous name?
1: Well, we had um, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting moment culturally in history. So um, the the word straight spouse, um, while there's nothing wrong with being straight and being straight is awesome. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) And great. And it's just fine. Um, We found that um, for this sort of newer generation of people, the word straight is starting to have some kind of wonky connotations with it that were really difficult associating. Like, you know, there's a straight pride march now, which right. that, that's not us. Um, we uh, have always been, um, the organization has always been pro-LGBT rights and equality because we've recognized that as soon as everybody's free to be who they are, Closets like the ones we were in, without our knowledge or consent, don't happen, right? So, what you know, being in closeted marriages can be very—it's a very disorienting experience, and um, and we don't want this to happen to anybody. So, we want everybody to be able to be exactly who they are. So, uh, we realized that there were some perceptual problems outside of the organization. Um, With the word straight, it's the cultural moment that we're in and that created some barriers for for us in terms of public relations, in terms of grant funding, things like that, which ultimately if we can rectify that, we can do a better job of helping straight partners and partners of trans people. Um, So it's, you know, and it's, it's been a difficult process. A lot of people are really, you know, we, we are, do identify, you know, a lot of us really do identify as straight spouses or straight partners as part of our journey, et cetera. But the other thing is we serve as, serve partners of trans people as well. And they're not necessarily sort of included in that sort of um, straight partner or straight spouse terminology. Some do, uh, identify that way and some don't Um, the 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 big thing was when we went went with the name we realized we were threading a very difficult needle and we chose to go in a more symbolic route and that means that our path like when our lgbt partners come out they often have their path they're often on a completely new trajectory if if there's a divorce or separation especially they've they're joining a new community they are trying on new identities they are socializing with new people They're dating new people and they have this whole new path to navigate in the LGBT community as an out person. We have to then in response, we have to find our own path forward as as straight partners. We have to navigate essentially the the kind of um, sometimes we're the collateral damage of the closet and we have to navigate that experience and find our own path to our own new normal um, and our own best life after something like this something like this happens. So that's why we chose the name Our Path. Our LGBT partners have their path forward and we have our path forward.
0: No, that's uh, that's beautiful and makes makes a ton of sense. It's interesting on the subject of language because it's something that I think within the LGBTQ community, as well, we're wrestling a lot with this. You know, our acronym changes by the day because <laughs> we're having to keep up with how people are identifying, and we're realizing that it's uh, not just the gay, straight, binary anymore. So even within our name, "Gays with Kids," we struggle with this as well because our we represent queer, bi, trans, dads, non-binary, um, the, the whole gamma, right? Yeah. It's um, not so, easy. It's right. not an yeah. easy needle to thread, no. <laughs> and you can't
1: you can't actually get something that, that the I'm sure you've discovered that like to try and brand yourself yeah. is an exercise in banging your Head against a wall until you find something that works well enough.
0: <laughs> it, it truly is, but so that's a that's a great compromise. I love yeah. the name and I love the the background on it. Thank you. Um, so again, our our community of gay, bi, and trans dads, um, a lot of them have come from uh, previous marriages with a cisgender woman, um, and that is how they became dads. A lot of you know, increasingly, like you're saying, I mean, if we're able to to dismantle the closet completely, these sorts of situations are probably gonna happen less and less. So we're seeing more people choose fatherhood with a same-sex partner or even increasingly on their own. Um, So we really do have uh, people in our community that run the gamut. Mm but, uh, but I also assume that you do as well, people that are coming to you um, maybe years after having been in a relationship with uh, someone that was LGBTQ, um, or people that are in, in the thick of it. So I, I guess I'm curious if you can talk about the range of experiences that you have among your members and yep. uh, and what kind of services you offer to someone maybe that's in the thick of it right now, yep. maybe mm-hmm. struggling with uh, what to do, or people that are you know, five, 10, 15 years past their own uh, personal relationship.
1: Right. So one of the things that we um, we offer when you're just coming out, most of the, the, it starts with a, is my husband gay or is my wife a lesbian or is my husband trans or whatever it is, it's a Google search. And, you know, we we come up and then it's like all of a sudden you uh, see our website and OK, the, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person who has experienced or straight person or cisgender person who's experienced being married or partnered with someone who is LGBT. So the first stop is usually the website where they find resource. There's a comprehensive resource section with books, articles, research um, there's not a lot of research into straight partners. that's changing. we're We're working with some university um, grad students who are doing various studies on straight partners and cisgender partners and their experience. And we also are doing some research of our survey research of our own that we're gearing up. Um, there's research, there's a podcast, there's a blog. Um, there's an open forum where anybody can go and say anything. <laughs> So, you know, it's a bit the wild, wild west. We always say in our spaces, you know, we don't tolerate homophobia or transphobia or bigotry or hatred, but we leave full permission for anger, rage, frustration, feeling betrayed, all those things are legitimate parts of this experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Just because, you know, and some partners may experience those feelings, those intense emotions, and others may not. Um, and so it just depends. But it's all legitimate. Like, we make everything right. You know, wherever you are in your journey, you're right. But you mostly in those raw moments, you're still trying to process, either if you've been disclosed to or discovered, okay, that you're, you've discovered some evidence um, that you think your partner might be LGBT, Um or you have actually been disclosed to. Usually, that first moment is like shock and all. It's like the tectonic plates have shifted underneath your feet. The ground has opened up and swallowed you. What does this? Because in one moment, not only is your future that you had thought that you were in potentially now completely upended, but so is the past because, all of a the sudden, there are questions about, you know how long right, you know, right. was any of our relationship real? like we're, what were you thinking on our wedding day? Were you telling me the truth when you said you loved me? You know, like all of these things, our past is now not clear. We don't know where we've been or what the relationship is, really, is it real? Was I a beard? That's not a fun question to ask. Was I was I a cover? was I was this all a fraud? Those are ugly questions. And in some cases, yes. In other cases, no, not at all, right? Like we have run the gambit. So that straight partner is coming or that cisgender partner is coming or the cisgender partner has found some lingerie in the closet that they don't know what to make sense of or, um, you know, or testosterone or pills or hormones. Like, wait a minute, what are these doing here? So there's confusion. There's um, absolute confusion. terms of inner turmoil and chaos. And the first thing we offer is when they put in a support request on the website, we match them one-on-one with someone who has been through this before, another straight partner or cisgender partner. Um, And we try to get people fairly closely matched with their own experience, but we also try for geography, er geographic area as well, Um, so we give you a support contact 101 who is there to listen to you and talk about your feelings and, and basically say, we know we get it. We've been here. We try not to advise. We're not here to say divorce him or leave her or any of that stuff. We're here to help you find what you already know is your best path forward. And it may be months or years before you're ready to make any decisions whatsoever
0: you know it is it's impressive i think um that our path from its beginnings like you said in the 80s has practiced this kind of radical acceptance of the lgbtq community not necessarily of the you know particular relationship or the struggles that have happened within there but that there's been a recognition from the outset that in order to prevent this sort of thing from happening we need to practice Radical acceptance and be pro LGBTQ and to get these, you know, laws change and societal acceptance yep. um, to a place where this doesn't have to happen anymore. Correct. Um, but I also would say, and Gays with kids is definitely guilty of this. And uh, you know, so we our bread and butters that we we present, um, you know, family profiles as a way to try to inspire other queer men that are interested in fatherhood to know that these are things that are possible for us. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, we've told stories of gay men who have gotten into relationships with women. Um, because they thought that would be the only way that they would be able to become a father right that that was the only way that they saw fatherhood uh, visualized to them so that was the only path forward for them that's obviously not the case now but that certainly is you know what how most of us were raised you know we so th- those are the stories we end up telling a lot of the time um, and usually with a you know well very much skimming over the part of uh, the, the uh, heterosexual or the other yeah. the, the, the partner in the in the situation that you know we and we we strive to you um, to accept the LGBT person in the situation, welcome them into the fold because they obviously need their own affirmation, and they're like you said, are on their own journey. Um, but there's some tendency to kind of skim over <laughs> a lot of the details, right? And so, in the times that we don't, or when we're telling these stories, and it's uh, it's uh, it, it's very inclusive of the uh, of the ex partner, mm-hmm. um, there are these stories of triumph, right? So it's the uh, it's these uh, often very incredible women that have um, been able to come to terms with this, and not only come to terms with it, but be uh, advocates themselves and to be incredibly accepting and loving and to be able to co-parent in this way that, um, again, is beautiful and very, it's worthy of having those stories told, but there's so many others, obviously, where that's not the case. So I guess this was a long right. roundabout question Yeah, <laughs> uh, to be able to to ask you to talk about the range of experience and how yes. how how difficult that can be, I think, yeah. within an organization to hold both of those things true, and especially to keep practicing radical LGBTQ acceptance when, um, when you know, you all more than then most have plenty of reason to hold anger um, towards our community in some way.
1: Right. Well, you know, you're you're correct. Our frown, our founder thirty years ago was always like, we have to end closeting. It, hopefully, we can end closeting. Period. But we have to end closeting in marriage. Period. Because whole families are impacted. Um, and yes, there's a range of experiences from people who are incredibly angry. I mean, just in personal experience, my personally, I I vibrated with rage. <laughs> in my own personal story for a period of time you know because you know it's it's never fun to find out you were that person that they married to have kids and to to do that and it, and to go and then to question like oh my gosh was any of this real right and and did i have an opportunity to consent to this you know did i have an opportunity to consent to being in a mixed orientation marriage so there is always an angry phase okay uh, almost always not everybody but a lot of straight partners go through an angry phase and sometimes it lasts a lot longer for others um, and one of the things that I think some of the LGBT partners, uh, you know, they they've they experience, they go, oh my God, my ex-wife is still so angry. It's been twenty years. And the thing that's not in the really, un- when you have those cases, the thing that isn't really understood is that it's it is. We always say that this is not a normal divorce or separation, because there's a not just an element of. Um, Uh, there's so many shifting elements of truth that have to be gotten to, right? And if those elements of truth are not gotten to, then that straight spouse is often unhealed for a very long time. Like if there's certain aspects of their narrative or life that have gone unacknowledged or that have, they never got answers to certain questions or, you know, one of the other dynamics is, um, if there's been infidelity, like often the LGBT partner is views it as exploring their sexuality or confirming like a same-sex experience might finally confirm to you that you are in fact LGBT, right? But that straight spouse or cis spouse or partner might be like, uh, I still experienced this as betrayal, or if there's somebody who's really deeply in the closet for a really long time and they've maybe spent 20 years of the relationship having same-sex partners outside of the relationship and then coming home and and the wife is like, I never knew about any of this. Um, and, and this doesn't happen in every case, you know, of course, we're not making blanket statements, but when those kinds of betrayals compound, and it's not just the behavior of infidelity that I have to get used to, it's on a fundamental level, I didn't know who you were. On a fundamental level, I didn't know who I was sleeping next to every night.
0: And I also suggest on some level within the LGBT um, space, there's also uh, within the community, there's like a, you know, not an affirming that, that infidelity is okay, but there's, it, it makes sense to them, right? It makes sense to the community. So this is, you know, of course. <laughs> You're like, of course, uh, this is
1: part of my journey. And this is- Right, uh, yeah. So to have,
0: but I guess just to have anyone else kind of look at that kind of situation and to be affirming of it, I assume was also, um, you know, a, a struggle or a part of
1: this. It's a part of this. You know, it's like, um, you know, there's Grace and Frankie on Netflix. I love that show. It's great. And there's this moment where the kids are like, you know, the the two new dads are together and the adult children are like, if he had had an affair for 20 years with a woman, would we be sitting at dinner with her right now? You know exactly. what I mean? Like that kind of thing. So
0: there's yeah.
1: there's this, this experience that the straight partners have is often very divergent than the experience that the LGBT partner has yeah. of the marriage going, going south or deteriorating. And unfortunately, when that communication breaks down and the honesty breaks down and the, and the vulnerability and the truth telling about what really happened to you, what was really going on for me? What's really going on for you? And the ability to listen mutually, when that breaks down, it often ends very, you know, it can be really, really rough. And that's very tragic. And I do think, you know, while the media often celebrates those cases where um, there's, you know, a happy ending and there's, you know, it seems like the woman in particular has, has, you know, gotten through a lot of her anger and has become accepting, um, I we don't necessarily celebrate that model over the other model. There yeah, are yeah. other models where it's like, it is absolutely good for there to be no contact and for there to be, you know, exactly, like that right. kind of thing. What we do find is, so we have every, it is very difficult to hold space for the people who are very angry and wanna be angry for a very long time. What we always say is, you know, be angry with your spouse. You know, we don't extrapolate to an entire community of people. Behavior is not identity. So if they've behaved badly as part of this marriage in terms of, you know, there's been years of affairs or secret assignations with a lover or something like that, you know, you get to be angry about that. You get to be angry about not knowing the full, um, what your marriage really was. You know, it, it, the other feelings of shame and humiliation about feeling duped are something that straight partners go through a lot. I think a lot of people don't understand we have to rebuild our identities in terms of, we go through years of trust issues again, like how can I trust anybody else is telling me the truth about who they are in a new relationship? We have to rebuild our, our sense of trust in ourselves from the ground up. Oftentimes. Um, And then we have to learn how to trust others again. And that can take years. And it can be really painful when we see, you know, our ex husband go off. He's now formed a new partnership. He's in a marriage. Our kids are going to Disney with him and his new partner. And we're like, I don't even know if I can date again ever, if I can open my heart to another human being again ever. So it's really hard. And um, while we celebrate the wins, where there's awesome new blended families and people, everybody gets to celebrate each other. I mean, there's a woman on our board who's still living in her house with her gay ex. He's got a boyfriend. She's dating. They have blended family. They, wow. you know, they they've done it really well. They've worked through their issues. They they maintained openness and honesty and vulnerability and communication with each other. He was willing to accept responsibility for how this impacted her, and then she was willing to allow. For herself to have all the feelings and then move through them, right? That's the healthiest kind of outcome ever, and we celebrate right. that. And right. it's it's complicated. <laughs> it's- yeah, not
0: not always possible. And that's you know, I think yeah. it's just it's a it's an exercise in trying to hold multiple conflicting mm-hmm. things true at the same, same time, time. It is it is brave and great for queer people to come out and live their truth, as we say. We encourage that. We welcomed them to the fold, but it is equally true that, however, the uh, people in their life that they've been lying to. Um, you know, are affected and are going to react in the way that's truthful right. and honest to them, and whatever that experience is, yeah. is um, is valid, right. right? Right. So, so I'm also just curious uh, for for uh, for our audience. Um, again, we we have done a, a poor job, I'd say, of trying to tell. Um, the story of straight spouses into mm-hmm. uh to show the range of experience like i right. said it's easy to celebrate like you're calling the wins the yeah. the you know the picture perfect does, uh ends to these stories uh, which i'm sure are even more complicated than we're letting on in, in the stories that we present they're the easiest ones to tell sure. right sure uh, but so i'm curious just uh, from your own experience of what you'd be willing to share with our audience at gay by Bi- and trans dads many of whom might be um, you know, struggling with this on some level themselves, trying yeah. to figure out how to support their uh, ex-spouse um, yeah. or partner. Yeah. Um, so, just uh, yeah, anything you'd be willing to share about your own experience?
1: Sure. You know, I married, I met and married my husband in high school. I mean, I was seventeen uh, when I met him, nineteen when we started dating. Um, Midwestern Catholic. We were in a very progressive school. We were in theater together.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like
1: at some point, you're like, come on, like there, people are always like were there signs absolutely there were i had no idea how to interpret them at age 19 age 22 you know like i i didn't understand what a herbert's coffee table book might mean you know like (laughs) now i'm like oh okay i was you know midwestern catholic girl i didn't know that but we were in a very progressive actually um catholic school system and so all of our friends were coming out you know so I didn't, it didn't occur to me that if you were gay in our environment, that you would still be closeted. Now that's not to diminish, you know, what people really go through when they're coming out, but it just, it seemed like all of our, my best high school friends, my best male friend in high school was gay, you know? So it just didn't seem like anybody was, if you were, that you weren't coming out right about high school and college, right. in in our community. So, um, and in our theater environment. So, um, but we, we were best friends. We loved, I mean, I mean come on we love to to go to art shows together and we went to the symphony together and we went, <laughs> all the stereotypes you know yeah, like yeah. that kind of thing so and 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 I still didn't know, you know, I still didn't know. And what tipped me off, you know, what tipped me off our sex life was very painful. Our sex life was very non-existent. And um, when we did have sex, it was very damaging to me as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and I was banging my head against a wall trying to solve the intimacy problem in our relationship. Like, wh- why can't we connect in this way? I feel like we're platonic. I feel like we're siblings. I feel like we're just roommates, you know, and I would bring this up and he would shut down, shut down. And there was just never any. And then I would say to myself, well, it's just sex. Well, sex is important. And I would say, well, everything else is so good. You know, we enjoy gardening together and we have two (laughs) dogs, you know, like we walk our dogs, you know, all this stuff I made all kinds of. And then all of a sudden I found after 12 years in the relationship, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was so undernourished as a woman. I was feeling so undesirable. I was feeling so neglected by my partner. And um, one night after a sexual rejection, I I said to him, are you gay? And part of me was praying, like, just let that be the answer. Just let that explain all of this. like. I'll be mad, but maybe one day we can be friends again and I'll help you come out of the closet and we'll 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 go shopping. I don't know, right. you know, whatever. <laughs> like whatever thing that was my, please just, and he goes, when I asked him that question, he goes, do you want, uh, he goes, um, when I said, are you gay? He goes, why? And I said, well, if you're gay, you owe it to me to let me out of this marriage. You know, let me find somebody who's interested in me. Let me find a man who's desirous of me. And he goes, do you want out of this marriage? And I said, if you're gay, yes. And then he says, I'm not gay. Well, I'll do the Reader's Digest version. I I separated from him. I had a relationship with a heterosexual man for about two months that was like, holy cow, blinders off. This is something different. Um, But we had a very brutal divorce. He was not ready to lose his cover. I mean, I I do believe that... um, you know, when, when I look back on some of the conversations we had as dating, it made me realize, yes, he knew. And, um, and I just didn't know how to interpret those conversations. And, um, and it was a very brutal divorce. And then he remarried a woman after me. And then about four years, uh, no, about eight years, sorry, about eight years after that, she reached out to me out of the blue with a, a message on Facebook that said, would you be interested in talking to me? I'm struggling to understand how I didn't know things about my husband. And so I reached back out to her and she said, you know, he's, he's finally come out. He's gay. We're divorcing. And, um, you know, it was, it was really tragic what the way things ended for her, because once he was ready to be out of the closet, he was ready to be out of the closet. And that meant she had to go. Yeah. So, which is another dynamic that a lot of straight partners, a lot of the resentment comes from is you feel like a lot of the p- women in particular, but sometimes to husbands too can feel like, okay, now there's no use for me anymore. And I'm just, I'm just cast off like on the side. So, and it can feel like that, even if it's more complicated than that, even if it's more nuanced than that, even if it's not easy, you know, I talked to one gay dad who was like, you know, you think we're going off into a celebration of our new gay community. Well, there's suspicion in there too. Like, why did it take you 45 years to come out? Oh, you know, like, yeah. Like, yeah. like, like, there's not a you know, we were all out at 18 in 1997. How come it's too, you know, you're just coming out now? Like, there's a diff. There's negotiation around that in the gay community, right? right? Absolutely. There's actually a
0: pejorative term that we use in the community for people that come out later in life, and are you know, they can be 30, 40, 50, and yeah. they're referred to as baby gays, which is uh, you know, no, <laughs> probably doesn't make them feel very that good. Probably doesn't uh, so make them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So there's. Well, i and i do think it's uh i from the from the queer perspective it's you know again so many queer people that come out later in life and again it's getting easier and easier yeah. i was lucky enough to come out at 15 years old i had an incredibly supportive family so i had a fairy tale coming out experience but i know people that are still that are you know in their 20s 30s 40s coming out um and it's and often with kids often in these situations so uh even though it progress is happening i mean it's light years ahead of where was. I was when I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's great to see, and it's getting better, but it's still, if people think now, and I, I do think that, especially within the world of queer parenthood, people do have this assumption that everyone's running off and doing surrogacy or adopting or foster care, and, and plenty of people are doing that, and more and more are now that those are options available to us, but still, The most, uh, the biggest part of our community are queer men who were in opposite sex or different sex relationships previously. Right. Right.
1: Um, And we're going to be here for quite a while. You know, like we're still working, there are still parts of the country in the US, in the Western world where. You know, it's, it's shockingly, um, it's, it's still not a, we did an interview on our podcast a little while ago with a young Muslim woman who was 16 and she's a lesbian. And she's just like, she's like, there's so much pressure to marry straight in the the Muslim community here that's in the way in Canada and in the U S so. We're we're not out of this by any stretch of the imagination, unfortunately.
0: Right, right. Sorry, I was uh, I cut off your story. Oh, I, yeah. is yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about where you are today? Or oh how, sure, sure.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. You know. So, uh, bottom line is, um. I my the I call her my sister wife. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm from Utah, so I understand that very well.
1: <laughs> she, you know, she gave me the truth in order to heal. Um. Honestly, I I spent the years after my divorce just in a fog of confusion because I thought I had failed the marriage. I thought what what. It, what did I do you know how did I screw that up like what it, what failing of mind contributed to that and when she gave me the truth then I you know I went through I call it my rage period you know like Picasso had the blue period I had the rage period where I was just <laughs> vibrating with rage and but the one thing I also said was I will not stay here I will not stay in this space of rage forever. And so I did a lot of work, did a lot of therapy, did a lot of healing. I'm kind of one of those people that'll go off to the jungle and do a plant medicine thing or whatever and like purge my, you know, rage and psyche and all that kind of stuff. So I've done a lot of weird things. I hiked across Spain and cried the whole way and all this kind of, but I really gave myself a lot of opportunities over the last years to really, I, I saw, I seized it as an opportunity to really get to know myself better because I. Realize even though he didn't know himself um, well enough to be truthful with me, I was a 23-year-old bride who was also living in essentially, um, you know, living out what I thought was the plan for my life according to where I grew up and my family and everything like that. And so I had to be like, okay, maybe none of that stuff is authentic to me anyway. So it sent me on a it sent me on a path of sexual exploration that um, as a Midwestern Catholic girl you wouldn't expect um, so I got to experience all kinds of amazing sexual experiences that I never would have had before had I still been married to him um, that's not necessarily gratitude for what. <laughs> what i went through but i did decide that i was going to transform it and make it um something that and i wrote a book that i'm about my experience which is you know being edited right now and then oh great i turned it into a podcast and now i'm assistant director for this organization so i really um want people to understand you know it's not just um it really isn't just that you know the gay partner or the lesbian or bisexual or trans partner has come out now and it's all celebration and there is a whole family that needs tending to and caring for and their feelings are valid and legitimate and um, and so the, so are the uglier feelings and if we acknowledge those uglier feelings the straight partners seem to be able to move through the healing process better it's when those feelings are denied disavowed called homophobic called transphobic. Right. When those things happen, then their grief is disenfranchised, and yep. when the grief is disenfranchised and not validated and not understood, then it's not healed. And so we really stand for people saying, you know, especially in a case of gender transition, when one partner transitions gender, a whole family transitions, and there's experiences they need both both parents need support. Um, they need to get that support maybe together, but also individually and and that all of those experiences nuanced complicated ugly feelings lovely feelings we, it, they're all part of the they're all part of the universe that is mixed orientation relationship and this is i say this often mixed orientation relationship is where the rubber meets the road in terms of our culture shifting uh, definitions and concepts around sexuality, sex, and gender—like all that's happening in the culture right now, everything that's shifting in terms of sexual identity, queer identities, um, uh, gender identities—all that's shifting. It gets played out on the field of mixed orientation relationship, and so being really sensitive to all the members of the family, the children too. You know, they have to. Um, they have feelings around what's happening with their parents as well. So um, in, we find that younger children, like super young, they really adapt to having an LGBT parent very easily. Um, it's the older kids if there's been secrecy. You know, one thing that we find is that family secrets are deadly. And as hard as coming out is and being truthful, you know, remember we see, we've even done a couple podcast episodes with adult children who carried secrets for their parents who were in the closet and the ramifications later on in life on terms of ability to trust new partners, it impacts the kids when there's been family secrets. And so I just encourage your listeners to really think about that because no matter what the secret is um, in a family, no matter what it is. Family secrets. Kids, kids are perceptive, and even if they don't pick it up on a conscious level, on an unconscious or energetic level—not to get too woo-woo—they know when something is going on in the family that's off. And then that then informs their development and growth in the way they're in relationship with other people as well. So, the more honest and, and open we can be as individuals about who we truly are in our family lives, and it's not easy, um, but the better the better for the whole family.
0: Yeah, so and we hadn't even talked about the impact on children, yeah. um, which was going to be my next line yep. of questions here. Yep. So uh, so I'm curious what, because uh, you know, if you're in this sort of situation and there are no children involved, like mm-hmm. you do have a choice as to how yep. connected or not you want to be, Correct. right? But if you yep. have children with someone, that's not really an option. So you need to f- figure out some way to uh, live right. and co-parent um, and hopefully in a way right. that's uh, loving and meaningful. So, so I guess this is a two-part question is, if you're in that situation, what are uh, some pieces of advice you give to, um, uh, to the queer member of that partnership, um, as to how to be approaching this. And, um, and then also how do you recommend, uh, queer people start to reestablish or, uh, explain or, um, reach out to their own children and, and, kind of, you know, start to, um, repair any damage that might've been done, done there as well.
1: Right. So it's, uh, there's a couple things first off, um, a- approaching this always, if it's at all possible, obviously co-parenting go, and I'm not a parenting expert, I'm assistant director of our So I'm speaking off of what we see anecdotally in our yep, population, no, you know? Right. Um, so to take it from that angle. Right. Um, and we're actually doing some research into this, uh, survey research into this coming up. So we'll have more information as well when our survey gets completed. Oh, great. Um, but it, the, obviously, any co-parenting situation, no matter what the divorce situation is, it starts with the two parents, right? It starts with the, the two parents. And what we find is, um, you know, it goes without saying that the LGBT parent in the process of growing up, in a society where they were not free to be themselves, that they have been through quite a journey to get to the point where they're coming out. Right. And that there's probably been struggle, suffering. There's probably been suppression, um, self-denial, a tremendous amount of loneliness. Um, there's probably been all kinds of feelings of, I don't want to come out to my wife. It'll blow her world up, you know, so then you stay in the relationship longer, all this kind of stuff. There has been a whole psychological process that has happened for the lgbt partner when you come out or are discovered to be gay that whole psychological process that you have been through all these years all of a sudden goes right here onto the straight spouse or straight partner right so even though you have been through this washing machine psychologically for all these years it can And it can feel very difficult to hold space for the straight spouse or straight partner. It can also feel like, well, it's my time now. I've been denying who I was for all these years. I don't want to have to be blamed. I don't want to be yelled at. I don't want to be screamed at. I don't want to be, you know, it, it, just at the moment where you want to say, I'm finally living my truth. Now there's... I got to take responsibility for what that has happened over here. But we do find that when the LGBT partner can hold some space and say to the straight partner, what has this been like for you? Let me answer your questions truthfully. Let me tell you the truth that that answering those questions and tending to those feelings first and tending to the origin of the relationship sets a whole different foundation for the family going forward. It wasn't important for me. I did not actually have children with my, you know, we could go our separate ways. I we never have to talk again if we, you know what I'm saying. And but for if you have to co-parent, then trying to say, I understand how my decisions around my sexuality, my decision to be closeted, my how my fear, legitimate as it might have been, has impacted you now. To be able to say, I see how this impacted you, goes a long way for the healing and the the, um, paving the road for a smoother transition for everyone in the family. Um, As far as approaching like talking to kids, we always recommend clear, simple, age-appropriate, and honest communication. It doesn't really have to be a big deal you know like for younger kids mom and dad are separating we're getting a divorce dad's gay mom's straight you know a lot of times people i think some of the lgbt parents feel like well i'm blowing up the family because i'm gay right and then it it's all because i'm gay and then there's the shame or feeling bad about that it's i you're gay she's straight this is not workable and so it's a way of taking blame off of sexuality, anybody's sexuality. It's that fa- this sexuality is, is, is gay, this sexuality is straight. The fundamental fact is these two sexualities are not compatible for a relationship, right? So then we can deal with responsibility for behavior between the parents. Right? Responsibility for behaviors, if there is particularly, and I'll take this moment to say, if there's been a lot of gaslighting, I just, I do want to say this. If there's been a lot of gaslighting in terms of as a part of your closet, as a part of staying um, in your closet, you've thrown your wife off the trail. Um, If you've deflected sex and intimacy in the bedroom by saying, you know, oh, you need to lose a couple pounds, which we hear a lot if you've deflected sex and intimacy by saying, you know, i have performance anxiety or something, which is can be really true if you're a gay man trying to have sex with a woman, there might be performance anxiety issues in the bedroom and that might be true, but the the rest of the truth goes unspoken and she's over here thinking i'm undesirable, i'm ugly, i'm too fat, i'm whatever, like all of those insidious things that culture's do to women. Sometimes the gay husband can either knowingly or unknowingly play into those insecurities because he's trying to get out of sex in the bedroom, right? So if you've engaged in those kinds of behaviors, there's real amends making that needs to happen because that is psychologically, we see the effects of gaslighting all the time. Like the wife starts to intuit something and he says something to throw her off the trail and you know, and it's like she all of a sudden is questioning her reality. Am I going insane? Am I am I crazy? What's the deal? That's real psychological harm, and those kinds of things need to have amends made for.
0: And, and
1: so, when um, we see the dam- mental health issues, depression, anxiety, CPTSD. We see this in our population tremendously because they've had their realities turned upside down, and they cannot trust themselves anymore. So this is really key. And when the parents tend to that connection between them first and that healing, um, and it may mean the LGBT partner has to do the listening for a while. Absolutely. Has to do the listening. And then the straight partner can say, okay, tell me what it was like in that closet all those years. Tell me, you know, that kind of thing. So that lays the foundation for the kids. The kids are almost, I'm not saying that they're not, that they're, the kids are almost, the The relationship with the kids flows from the relationship with the parents.
0: My assumption, my guess, is that you know, as you were uh, saying in your own experience, mm-hmm. so it, it it took your ex, you know, two marriages uh, before he was finally at the place where he was ready to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you said, he was guns blazing, he was ready. And part of that coming out for him, was, you know, out of the marriage and just, you know, get, get on. So I assume, um, in a lot of these instances that there is, uh, that this isn't going to happen overnight, right? So this isn't like you, it's hard to expect. I, I think just thinking of even my own experience at 15, but anyone coming out at any age, there's, it is that is a process too right so people yeah. are coming to terms with where they're at they're right. making really dumb choices sometimes and like out there experimenting living their life yep. um like you do <laughs> and right, uh, right right so I, I i mean it could take i assume it might take some uh queer men or queer spouses in this uh world years probably before they're even ready to sit down and, and atone or, uh or to hear to listen to or to, to hear uh yeah exactly yeah exactly. um so yeah so do you is that something you recommend that, that I mean that it might just take some time for everyone to be able to get in, to even be comfortable or willing to have these conversations
1: absolutely the um well there there is something known as a gay adolescence <laughs> like anecdotal and yes, sometimes <laughs> when you have just come out of the closet and you are in this new world and navigating it and learning it like there isn't the space to be able to sit down and listen to your ex-wife who is Um, about ready to clonk you over the head with a crowbar because of her pain and her anguish and uh, all of that. Like no one wants to feel blamed. Nobody wants to feel responsible. And that is really, that's some hard stuff to sit through and to hold space for. So obviously when you're ready or when you think you can, you know, sit and, and have those conversations with your spouse. I'm not asking anybody to stick around for abuse. I'm not asking anybody to, um, but this is, this is a, a situation that takes orders of magnitude longer to heal from because mm-hmm. of the, the undermining of our sense of reality, because there's, you have to go back and rewrite the narrative of your life with this new information. And sometimes there's, there's instances and, and, um, uh, symptoms of PTSD, where you're reliving the wedding day over and over, trying mm-hmm. to think, was he lying when he said he loved me? You're reliving the honeymoon in in Bora Bora, going, oh my gosh, you know, was he lying every night of our honeymoon? You're you're going through those memories, trying to find the kernel of truth. So it's very psychologically disorienting for the straight partner. And and as soon as you're ready to listen to that and that experience or answer the questions, the questions are are always gonna be, when did you know? How long have you known? Why didn't you feel like you could tell me? Um, Why did you marry me? Um, uh, Was I just for kids, used for kids? Or was I a beard or a cover? Um, And many times no, and many times yes. So, and if you can answer those questions truthfully, and then again, when the kids, especially if they're adult kids, there's going to be holding space holding for their feelings too or teenage kids adult kids Absolutely, we yep. never want to make them our secret keepers if they find something if your kids are the ones who find the lingerie or the hormones or what have you and you know then it's time it's like okay my kid found this I cannot put them in the position of being the secret keeper for me they found the evidence I have to talk to their parent their other parent it is time and so because that is deadly for a kid to be secret keeper I know I said that already, but we see that often. And um, just please, please, please do not ever put your kids in the position of being a secret keeper, because we see how that impacts them years down the road.
0: Yeah, fascinating, all very good tips and useful. Mm-hmm. In particular, I assume, and I'm I'm just guessing here, but I assume most of our audience are uh, queer men who've since come out mm-hmm. and are living um, their lives, mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote, authentically. Right. Um, so I guess my, my last question for you here is, if they're listening, and maybe they're, you know, again, I, I assume that it's a ongoing process of trying to repair relationships or build on them and improve them with both your ex-spouse and and your children, right. um, especially if they were older when you, when you came out. Um, so if, if they were to, if they're listening to this and they're interested in figuring out, you know, ways that they can keep, keep improving or keep building on it again, I yeah. assume that it's just an ongoing process. Yeah. Um, how, or where, where would you recommend them to start? How can they reach out to our path, uh, for support? Um, and again, I'll, Acknowledging that your your primary focus right, is obviously right. the, the ex uh, straight spouse. Yeah,
1: we do have a resource page on rpath.org that is for the LGBT partner that is um, primarily focused on when you're ready to come out to your partner. Here's some tips on how to do it in a way that's going to pave the way for a better future and what to expect from your straight partner or cisgender partner. So we don't have so much in terms of parenting resources for LGBT um, folks. Uh, we are working on that more because our constituency. So we do have like some. On we've done a couple podcasts on co- successful co-parenting, parental alienation. Here's what I can say. Um, just like with any divorce, you know, being a Disney dad where you swoop in, you take the kids on a big trip and then mom still has the laundry and the and the carpooling and the shuffling back and forth to school and that kind of thing. Like that doesn't wash in regular society for a lot of moms anyway. So um, the more involved you can be in your kids' lives, like, and it may take some time. I think this is sound advice for um, um, anybody going through this. And um, again, take take it for what it's worth as not a parenting ex- expert, but showing up day in and day out, asking mom, what can I do to help you out? What would help you out this week? Asking mom, you know, depending on where the kids live, if their primary residence is with the mother, um, or or you 50-50, asking, you know, what what can I help you out with this week? You know, is there something that you need that I could do that'll take the load off you a little bit? Um, doing those kinds of things it's like a bank. If you think of a bank account, it's like you're depositing money in the bank for your ex-wife or your wife and your kids, and you're depositing money in. And then if you need to make a withdrawal, you can make a withdrawal, but you're also those little everyday things that say, I'm not just here for you. When I take you to Disney, I'm here for you. And I'm here for your mother. And she is the mother of my children. And I honor her for that. And, and I, I, even if we don't always see eye to eye or we're angry with each other at times, she's the mother of my children and she will always hold a space of respect and honor in my life for giving me these kids. And when that that approach is taken, like all kinds of hardened hearts melt, right? Um, when I'm here for you for every day, not just special days. And it's, it's brick by brick, building relationships no matter what the repair is or four is literally brick by brick every single day, the little things and leaving space for those kids to be angry, to say, you know, have the ugly feelings. And, and kids adapt, they really do adapt really well. If there's consistent love, consistent affection, they know they're safe and secure. They know they're supported. Um, they do adapt really, really well. So it's that primary, just like within a marriage, it's that primary relationship between the co-parents, whether you're married, separated, divorced, or not. And many people do go on to do a mixed orientation marriage. They, um, yeah, about a sixth, uh, the best statistics we have are about a sixth of the original couples, after disclosure or discovery, um, will find some way to make a long-term marriage work, a a mixed orientation relationship or partnership work. The remaining five-sixths of the couples will have divorced some along the way, um, either immediately right after or um, during the like you know the next five to ten years, they'll find a way to they'll they'll separate or divorce. But some people do make mixed orientation relationship work and do it really well.
0: In instances where um, the straight spouse is again dealing with some very understandable anger and, and issues around um, the dissolution of, of a marriage, um, in instances where there there might be an impulse or um, to to kind of blame the community right so like you're saying at the at the outset the at our path you're very uh, affirming of it's not about it's about an individual it's not about a community it's not about orientation gender identity but in instances where it does manifest as some anger towards the lgbtq community um what what kind of uh, advice do you give to uh the queer parent in that instance and I and, and to the straight spouse as to how to kind of navigate that that kind of stuff which again i think is understandable on some level um whether or not it's the you know the um, ultimate place where we want people to end up right right <laughs> right
1: well here's a couple of different levels first of all that can kind of be temporary like for example i I hated gay men for a hot minute you know like I just kind of <laughs> blanketly hate and it, and it was irrational and it also went against my values and I knew that but it's kind of like that thing where you feel like you got your hand burned on a stove you don't go near any stoves for a while right Right. Um, you know, one of the things that's really hard for straight partners is pride month. And, and you will see post after post in these, like, I, I'm glad my husband or my wife can be mm-hmm. who they are, but God, this is hard. Like, I, I feel like if I see another rainbow, I'm going to puke right now. And some <laughs> of that is just, a, it's, it's, it sounds unsupportive, but it's just a reaction of like, right. you know, yeah. this, this thing blew up your life and now it's everywhere. Right. So, so first off the question is going to be, is that reaction that extrapolates to an entire community temporary? Is this something that this partner is working through as part of their healing process? If they just need to be like, you know what? I don't want to go near any gay people for a little while, just for a hot minute while I get myself together. like, And then I work through that and I'm good, right? So hopefully most that's the trajectory if you're going to have some you know, residual backlash against the entire community, that it's a temporary thing and you have the maturity and wherewithal to work through that. You're hoping that they move through that really quickly. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And the reason is, okay, we, this happens to people of every ethnic group, every demographic, every religious minority. So you could have uh, another one of my friends, you know, whose partner is trans. um, She was like, my kids were in pride parades since they were in utero. She was like, I, I am we've been LGBT allies and friends for as long as I can remember. And she was like, um, but you know, when this happened to me in my home, my my husband told me he was a trans woman. I had to reevaluate everything about myself. Am I a lesbian? Do I want to be a lesbian? Can I be with a woman? Do I want, what about my sexuality, which is heterosexual? I love men. So she had to go through all of, of this um, experience. She was a very liberal progressive mom. And this happened to her, and she had to go through a period where she questioned, you know, her allyship, et cetera. And of course she came out on the other side like, oh my gosh, and she's got LGBT kids. On the other hand, people from very conservative communities or religious communities who have whole different belief systems about LGBT people, this might happen to them as well. And we have to hold space for those individuals and meet them where they are, and hopefully we can nudge them along a little bit as... Um, you know, we, you never change minds by going in and saying, you're wrong for what you believe. You only ever change minds by saying, I see you where you're at in your pain and your suffering. Can we nudge you a little bit in, in helping you understand that this is not an entire community of people doing this, um, that this is that the that the reason closets exist is far more complicated. Um, and, and, and we try to nudge them along. If you are an LGBT partner who's got one of those spouses who will just never come along, who wants to just extrapolate to the entire like I. To some extent, that's one of those cases where um, never the twain shall meet, you know, like there there may be no reproach mom, there may never be any reconciliation, it may be in co-parenting just the facts, when am I picking the kids up from school, when are you picking them up, like sometimes those bare bones communication relationships are the reality as well. And we have to be able to recognize, you know, if we're dealing with somebody who has allowed their experience as a straight partner to inform a broader sense of homophobia or, or, um, you know, hatred towards an entire community and nothing is moving that person along towards healing. Um, then, you know, then you do as the LGBT partner, you know, you have to do what is best for you and your kids in that situation may mean limited contact. So, uh, it's never easy. We, we don't love to see those situations, but, you know, everyone's dealing with the individual reality and of their particular permutation of this experience.
0: Right, right. Which I, you know, for the queer person in that situation, they're obviously dealing with that struggle. And also if they're, if they've come from a culture or a religious background or anything where, uh, you know, their, their sexual identity or gender identity is not frowned or is, is frowned upon, then that's obviously, you know, complicated from many, many different levels. Right. Um, But so, yeah, uh, I de- like hopefully as we're dismantling closets <laughs> <laughs> and across the world. That's going to be less of an experience that we see.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Um, Kristen, I can't thank you enough for, for, we could do this for another hour. It's been super interesting. Yeah, yeah. Anytime. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, we'd love to have you back, but, um, just, uh, maybe as a sign off, if you could tell us a little bit more about, um, the book that you wrote and your podcast and where people can access it and, and listen.
1: Well, I'd love, I, my book is, is being edited right now, so um, uh, it's not ready yet, but it is about, it's all about sexual authenticity, my own journey in being, being in a relationship where someone was sexually inauthentic with me, and then I was sexually inauthentic with um, other people in my experience, only because I didn't know myself well as well, and then mm-hmm. all the way to a journey of sexual authenticity with my current partner and just how absolutely um, what we can learn from sexual authenticity. City and what we can learn from what happens to us when we are sexually inauthentic. And um, so that's what the book is about. And hopefully I can shoot you an email in not too, not too distant future and say, hey, it's ready. Um, yes, please. The podcast is, um, it's called the Our Voices Podcast by Path. Um, it used to be the Straight Spouse Voices Podcast. We, over about 75% of our interviews are with straight partners or partners of transgender people. And we interview all kinds of experiences. So we might interview the wife of a transgender person who stayed with their transgender partner. We might interview a wife who separated and um, and the and the experience was absolutely traumatic and awful. Um, we don't judge your outcome, but we give you an array of different stories so that you can find the one that resonates with you and then say, ah you know the way they handled their relationship is how or is how i want to handle mine or the way that relationship went south was the way my relationship went south thank god i'm not the only person who that happened to so the their stories are are rich and diverse occasionally we feature the lgbt partner to come on we actually have um our october 10th episode is a um, as one of our lgbt friends a gay man who was married to a woman and he just tells the truth and just like puts it out there in a way that is like total accountability, total understanding. And it's really beautiful. Um, it's, I hope, you know, I hope people really listen to that one and hear the validation in that experience and, and the empowerment that he receives from ownership of taking responsibility. So, um, that's what our podcast is about. It's like telling stories so that people can hopefully heal.
0: Our Path has done such a great job from its inception of being affirming of the LGBTQ experience despite very challenging circumstances. So I can't thank you enough for that. I think that we could be doing a better job on our end of, uh, of lifting up your own stories and celebrating them and affirming them as well. So I encourage everyone to go listen to the podcast. Um, and so Kristen, Assistant Director of Our Path, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Um,
1: Thanks, it was my pleasure.